Welcome to All Things Vegas, nourishing self-care for the helping professional. During our time together, we will explore a wide variety of topics relating to self-care, all especially geared to the helping professional. Our guests are all thought leaders and cutting edge providers in their respective fields of endeavor. They will offer not only helpful insights, but practical skills that you can begin to use immediately. Diana Laurie, PhD, is a professor of neuropharmacology at the Skagg School of Pharmacy at the University of Montana. She received her PhD in neuroscience from the University of Pennsylvania and directs a research laboratory focusing on brain dysfunction and the response of the nervous system to natural products, including Ayurvedic herbs. The Lurie Laboratory is currently studying the neuroinflammation in the brain and is evaluating the ability of select Ayurvedic herbs to inhibit the release of pro-inflammatory cytokines. Dr. Lurie teaches in the areas of neuroscience pathophysiology. She is a certified Ayurvedic practitioner and also teaches courses in Ayurveda. Well, good morning, Diana. It's so great to have you here this morning. I'm really excited about our topic today. Um, so the whole idea of circadian rhythms, I think most people have probably heard of that, but I think it would be a really, really good idea to just define what they are for people so that, so that we are hitting the ground and all in the same space and right. as we move forward. Yeah. Right. So can you talk about what they are and, and also maybe what they aren't? Right. Well, yeah. good morning, Kathy, and yeah. thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to our discussion on circadian rhythms, and we'll just jump right in. Yeah, so circadian rhythms are our internal biological rhythms. So we are basically on a 24-hour cycle. Okay. And what that means is that our metabolism, our digestion, our hormonal secretion is all linked, actually, to our external world. Now, these rhythms can function without, say, a light-dark cycle. You could put somebody in a room that's light 24 hours a day, and they would still have biological rhythms, but they would move a little bit. They wouldn't be totally keyed into our natural light-dark cycle. And so we're really linked to our external environment. And I think this is such an important point because as our technology has grown and increased, we're separated from our external environment. We can work at night. We can work all through the night. We could sleep all day if we wanted to. So I think it's really important to recognize that as a biological being, we're still linked to our external world. So why do we even need circadian rhythms? Why do we even have them? And the reason that we have them is that it helps to prepare the body for events that are going to happen. Okay, so for example, we eat during the day, right? We, we sleep at night, hopefully, and we eat during the day. So our circadian rhythm has set up our ability to um, manage glucose so that that functions best during the day when we're going to eat. Okay. And then at night, when we want to sleep, our body temperature goes down, our hormone melatonin goes up. Um, and so that prepares the body for sleep. So the reason why we have them is that as we move through our day, we're not like eating a snack and the body saying, oh gosh, I have to get my digestion revved up. I have to deal with glucose. 
that process has happened ahead of time so right. you're you're ready for it so it's a pre- it's almost like a preparing for the day right yeah it is okay. it's well it's preparing for the events right. that happen over a 24 hour period right. whether it's what you do during the day or your sleep cycle what right. you do at night so i think it's interesting to talk about uh, because i think valid point that because of the world that we live in and because we can um you know, we have lights and we have technology and we have things that allow us to stray outside the parameters that nature naturally provides, especially in terms of light and dark. Um, I think it's interesting to think about the ramifications of what straying too far outside of right. that that does. And, you know, we are really focused here. And I, and I think also um, it's important to recognize that that. And, I, and I, I think you would agree with this, that these are things that we can do for us. These are things that we can do to support ourselves, um, which is why I think this falls under the category of nourishing self-care. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think um, once you understand and know what's happening with your biological mm-hmm. rhythms, you can really... Mm, slightly modify your mm-hmm. behavior. So let me give you some examples. That'd be great. Of That'd some great. of the things yeah. that disrupt our, yeah. our yeah. circadian rhythms yeah. in modern life. Okay, the first one obviously is travel, right? You go to different time zones and that disrupts your 24-hour cycle. You know, you might go say to India and there are 12 hours difference. And so over time that will reequilibrate, but it takes you a couple of days. And I was recently at a meeting where somebody said, oh, I know how I can fix your biological rhythms when you travel. Just take a take a boat everywhere or take a, a slower, <laughs> slower, slower. Yeah. But yeah. that's not really possible. So being aware of that and trying to gradually shift yeah. your biological. So people are pretty familiar with that. Um, using our electronic devices at night, yeah. right? So that activates your visual system, especially that blue light. Mm-hmm. We have receptors both in our retina, in our eye, and in our skin, interestingly, in blood vessels, that are sensitive to blue light. So the recommendation is that you put away your electronics about half an hour before you you wanna sleep. Now the other really big, so the other really big thing sort of cued into our light, dark, and sleep cycles is that um, a lot of people have a really a rigid schedule during the week, you know, they get up early, go to work, come home, go to bed maybe a little bit earlier. Then on the weekends, they stay up really late, and then they sleep late. And this is something called social jet lag, and it really disrupts your circadian mm-hmm. rhythms. Mm-hmm. So it is better on the weekend, say you stay out late, to still get up at your same time, and then maybe take a little nap during the day, right. so that you're not disrupting that whole right. circadian rhythm. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a big, it's a very large um, ask, I think, of the adaptive processes in your body mm-hmm. to have that kind of, um, kind of almost screwy schedule a right. little bit. Yeah, yeah, you can't jump around like that. And I think a lot of the more traditional systems mm-hmm. of medicine and even Western medicine is now moving towards having a really um, stable daily routine. Right. And so that you're doing things at the same time of day, or approximately. And that really helps your body to maintain its circadian rhythms. The other big thing that disrupts circadian rhythms, and particularly how we handle glucose, um, is eating at night. Because at night, our insulin, everything shuts down because we're not supposed to be eating. 
So if you're doing a lot of night eating, that really disrupts Mm -hmm. that circadian rhythm. And studies have shown that makes you more susceptible to type 2 diabetes and obesity. So really trying to give thinking about our circadian rhythms and kind of honoring that right. um, and trying to live our life. It's, of course, we're not perfect, but keeping that in mind is really helpful. Yeah. So that then brings to mind a question about um, kind of the, 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 what I would refer to as, you know, the people that are morning people and the people right. that are kind of night people. Right. So um, I'm going to guess that there's probably a, a difference in how you know the cycles function right yeah and so there have been some studies Mm -hmm. on on sort of the early we call that early chronotype the morning chronotype and then the evening the late chronotype right and for those of you that are now night owls i have some kind of bad news for you in that the early chronotype tends to um stick to our circadian rhythms a little bit better and tend to be healthier people that have a late chronotype tend to do a lot more night eating Interestingly, their diet isn't as healthy in some of the studies that have been done. Mm -hmm. So even though morning chronotypes and evening chronotypes eat the same amount of calories per day, which is really interesting, but the night eaters tend to eat less fruits and vegetables and have slightly less diet. And they're also more prone to obesity and type 2 diabetes. Wow. So really trying to... now. That being said, there are some people that are just a night person. Right. And it, it, they, it doesn't work when they try and change. But just being aware of what you're doing at the, in the night, mm-hmm. trying not to sleep too late during the day, is something that you can do to kind of right. mo- rectify that or modify that. So would there also be for those people that um, are later naturally later people, would there be also some value in watching what you're eating if you're eating late in the day? Yeah, so okay. um, what what's important for the body is that it has a period where you're not eating. Right. And I know intermittent fasting yeah. is very popular, and this is sort of, it's not really intermittent fasting, right. but it's giving yourself 10 or 12 hours where you're not eating. Right. And so studies have shown that if you eat the majority of your calories before late afternoon, then you tend to be healthier and you can manage your weight better. So basically what that really means is sort of three moderate meals during the day or maybe a a light breakfast and a larger lunch. But having that light dinner is is really important. So if you're going to be up late, it's important to think about that. And maybe if you if you're really hungry and it's eleven o'clock at night, you know maybe have some nuts, something a little bit more um, healthy that your body doesn't need to process quite as <coughs> excuse me intensely. Exactly. Yeah. It's it seems like um, like we just need to if we could just be aware of everything that's trying to happen. Right. And the and the. Um, ask that we're right that we're asking of the body right. to take care of x y and z yes yeah, it's, yeah it seems like that would be so this brings me to a question around people and especially in the healthcare industry mm-hmm. and you know helping professionals in general i'm thinking about first responders mm-hmm. people that um are shift workers exactly so yeah this seems like this could be a really really big um area topic area for them I think it's something that, you know, is, is, is important. And 
you don't really, if you're a shift worker, you don't have that much control over what you're doing. Right. So I think trying to be aware of those rhythms. And if you are doing shifts, like my sister-in-law is a a nurse and she does night shifts, but she does like four or five days in a row at night and then she's got four or five days off. So if it's possible to do that and do your shift in chunks, that might be a little bit better right. for you than to have a completely different schedule each day. Right, exactly. So a stretch of time that mm-hmm. kind of allows a little mm-hmm. bit of adaptation. Right, and the then have again. a really good kind of daily routine associated with each of those shift, yeah. you know, that time period. Yeah. So that could be something that could happen on an organizational level to support people who right. are in shift work positions. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Absolutely. That is great. I mean, because I've, I've always wondered about, so how do you adapt to... It's, it is really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And I think it, there's always going to be some imbalance when you're doing that. Yeah. But trying to minimize that, yeah. I think. So, you know, yeah. not working nights one night and then days the next right. day and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had a, I had a job at a, at a casino back in the day, uh-huh. right? And my job was, was relief, which meant that one day I might be working day shift, the next right. day I'd work swing. And, and it was, I was probably at my unhealthiest for... Yeah. I could figure out when to sleep. Right. And that, that, those, yeah. those kinds of jobs are really the worst. Yeah. And as yeah. you said... You know, employee employers should be kind of aware of yeah. that because yeah. it does have some really significant health detriments. And basically what happens is that you um, dysregulate your gut microbiome, right. so you're not digesting properly. Right. And then you are more prone to inflammation. And we know that inflammation is a risk factor for a whole host of diseases from cancer to heart disease to diabetes to depression. Right. Right. Which, you know, then leads me to another question here, because I think um, you you touched on it a little bit, but I would like to explore more this idea of the effect of, um, I think, what you call chrononutrition. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. And the impact that that has on the gut microbiome, because I think that there is more and more and more understanding about the importance of supporting you know, the, the critters absolutely. that live in our yeah. gut, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. In yeah. fact, we have more bacterial cells in right. our body than we do right. our, our, human <laughs> our own cells. human cells. So we're yeah. really just carriers for bacteria. We can look at it that way. Right. And I would point out that um, more traditional systems of medicine have always emphasized diet. Right. Always emphasize right. that as being the key to health, right? Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine. Right. So we're sort of coming back to that way of thinking, so our gut microbiome are these bacteria <coughs> excuse me that sit in our whole GI system but we have bacteria all over our body right on right. our skin right. everywhere so our gut microbiome is there to basically digest our food and it can and it's a whole lot of different species of bacteria and we're really just beginning to understand what's important about that and at first people thought that all the individual species were important but now we're thinking more just the different classes of bacteria are important Mm -hmm. so they digest our food they one of the things they do do is produce something called short chain fatty acids Mm -hmm. which are really important to maintaining good health and keeping inflammation down and our gut microbiome the different species the different classes of bacteria 
also cycle on a 24-hour cycle. And so certain species are more abundant during the day when we know we're going to be eating and they know they're going to have to be dealing with our food. And other species are more abundant at night. Mm -hmm. So our rhythms are also... Oh, yeah. um, our bacteria are also on a biological rhythm. So that then really kind of underlines or underscores the point around, you know, eating when it is naturally best for us to right. eat because we have the capacity. So you can start to connect the dots about why eating, um, like, say, in the middle of the night right. isn't exactly helpful because right. the bacteria aren't there to exactly. be on task. Right? Exactly. Yeah, uh, that's what we think. Yeah, and you know this whole area of circadian rhythms and the gut microbiome—it's relatively. I mean, we've known about it, right. but in terms of how impactful it is on health, right. really, it's only been the last ten years or so that we're really beginning right. to understand, and particularly with circadian rhythms. Right. There's a lot of research that's coming out now because not only does our brain control our <laughs> circadian rhythm, but we have little clock proteins. They're called clock proteins in each of our individual cells, and so the brain is talking to the cells and talking to these individual clock proteins. So it's actually a lot more complex than we originally thought. It's really interesting because when that clock protein is expressed, it helps you to fight viruses. Right. So it's higher, it, it, it becomes lower in the winter. Oh. And that's just part of its circadian rhythms. And so that might be part of the reason why we have a winter viral season. And everybody has thought that it's, oh, it's the cold, and that could play a role, but it's also our light cycle. Right. So that's why flu. we have a flu season. We seem to have a COVID season. So it's really very interesting and very subtle, all the ways that our circadian rhythms right. and our pro- clock proteins really affect our health. Right. Well, and it keeps boiling back to this whole, uh, this whole thing about cycles. Right. Everything has a cycle. The earth has a cycle. Exactly. The seasons have cycles. Exactly. I mean, all of it's cycles. And, you know, it's, again, to... to Come back to your point about you know the natural rhythms. It's it's it's. I think again, you know, the further we get away from, right, you know, syncing up with that. And I think that there's kind of a movement now to get back more in tune with that. Yeah. And whether it's our own internal circadian rhythms and really linking that in with the external world. Exactly. Our technology is great. It does so many good things for us, but. We still need to be connected with our external world. Well, exactly. We can't separate ourselves yeah. from that. To, we can for, to our own we detriment. We can, but not for any length of time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. You know, it's all about communication, isn't exactly. it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> really at the end of the day. So the thing that I think is really pretty fascinating here is, you know, to recognize that there is there are things that we can do. And again, I keep coming back to... Um, in my own mind, the idea that there are so many things that we can do. Yes. Right. I mean, this is, this is, these, these, this discussion clearly puts the bulk of how we take care of ourselves in our hands. Yes. You right? know, absolutely. So um, I think one of a good example of this, and this is an area where I think 
the field is moving is in the area of the immune system. Right. Okay, so let's talk about the immune yeah, system, right? Yeah. COVID, we're, we're yeah, all... We're on it. We've all had kind of a crash course in the yeah. immune system. Right. And so what's really interesting about circadian rhythms is that our immune system is most functional. It's got the biggest, largest activity at about 2 o'clock in the morning, 2 to 3 o'clock in the morning. Mm. So an area is emerging of sort of what we call chronotherapy, right? So when is the best time to give drugs? And um, we know that a lot of diseases are worse in the morning. So I'll use rheumatoid arthritis as an example. Okay, so uh, people that suffer from rheumatoid arthritis, they have pain and stiffness in Mm -hmm. the morning. And it's not just because they've been sleeping and not moving it's because their immune system has been very highly activated oh interesting and so there's work coming out that shows that if you've got inflammation it's best to take your anti-inflammatories at night and Mm -hmm. in terms of rheumatoid arthritis they've known this since like 1964 we've known it for a long time but now they give medication for uh, arthritis at night and there's even a slow release form of prednisone that is designed you take it after dinner and it releases at two or three in the morning mm-hmm. so that's just an example of um, how our immune how we can once we know what our immune system is doing over a 24-hour period we can modify that right the other thing is in terms of vaccinations right. so there is some evidence that giving a flu vaccine in the morning gives you better antibody response And what they're finding with the COVID vaccine is that it might be better to give that one in the afternoon. Oh, interesting. Okay. So this is a brand new area that people are just beginning to explore. So it'll be really interesting Mm -hmm. to see how this evolves. Right. So I also think that one of the things that that, kind of came with COVID, you know, um, or it didn't come with COVID, but it kind of ramped everything up a little Uh bit, is our mental health. I mean, there's been a lot of conversations, of course, around um, mental health. And um, I think there's, it's less of a stigmatized topic now, which I think is great. Absolutely. And what COVID really showed, both in terms of people being isolated Mm -hmm. and in terms of all the inflammation that happens with COVID is that inflammation, and we knew this before COVID, is very much linked with depression and anxiety. Exactly, yeah. So having a lot of inflammation leads you, or is a risk factor for increased depression and anxiety. And so yeah. this is so in a sense, as you say, it removes the stigma because it's not as if you're just like not happy with your life and, you know, you know, get it together and yeah. buck up and <laughs> yeah. don't be so miserable. Right. But there's an actual physiological basis for right. that. Right. Can you speak a bit to um, the idea of, of the role? So I think interwoven in all of this, because of course, you know, the bulk of the immune system is in the gut. Right. Right. To right. begin with. So I think there's I mean, we can't ignore the you know interweaving there so can can we talk a bit about your understanding of the role that um, the gut microbiome plays in mental health absolutely and this is a really fascinating field that's emerging so some of the work is, is is supporting the idea that if your diet is not healthy for your microbiome. So a lot of processed foods, a lot of excess sugar, everything that basically is marketed to us in the American diet. (laughs) um, It disrupts our microbiome. 
And that leads to leakage out of our gut. Okay. It's the so-called leaky gut. And when bacteria and when, when things can leak out of the gut, that leads to inflammation. Right. And then inflammation is a risk factor for, as we said, you know, for uh, depression, anxiety, that kind right. of thing. Right. So yeah. it's all really closely linked. We also have the vagus nerve mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Um, it directly innervates the gut. And we know that substances can move from the gut into the brain through the vagus nerve. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a um, duplicated system almost right. in some ways, is right. it not? Am I correct on, yeah. on that? Yeah. 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 So it's really very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think we're only now beginning to really gain an appreciation for that intertwining of the brain, the gut, the immune system, and how it all works together. Right, exactly. So if, if, if I were to, so we kind of understand a little bit better thanks to our discussion about what's disruptive. Mm-hmm. So can we uh, move in a direction of talking about, so, so taking all of this into account, what's helpful? <laughs> you know, what can, what can we do? Yeah. yeah. So I think there are a lot of things that we can try. And I think it's really important to recognize that everybody is different. Right. And so different strategies are going to work better for different people. I think having a regular sleep-wake cycle is very okay. important. Okay. And I think being able to get, you know, they always say, oh, you should get seven to eight hours of sleep. But some people do fine on five hours and some people need 10 hours. Right. But keeping that regular sleep schedule, if possible is really helpful and not changing that schedule on the weekends right i mean as little as possible right exactly okay i think so that's one thing that we can do the other thing that we can do is eat a colorful plate so i think we as americans we spend way too much time focusing on food and it causes a lot of anxiety and distress <laughs> in people should we be eating this should we be right. eating that right. so i really think that we should eat everything in moderation that every meal should have a colorful plate. Because if it's a colorful plate, then you've got vegetables, you've got fruits, you've got grains, you've got protein. Mm-hmm. I am avoiding those highly, highly processed right. foods like fast food right. and those sugary drinks right. are, are simple things that we can do. Right. So as far as as far as um, I know, you know, from your background in Ayurvedic medicine mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of understanding that, that, that that some of those ancient medical systems that have been around for millennia, right, right. Uh, really understood also the value, to use that word, the value of of eating foods that are in season also yes. at the time that, that there is a, can you speak at all to, to that and how it might relate to what we've been talking about right. here? Yeah. So yes, so definitely eating locally and eating in your season where possible right. is, is really important because we have our microbiome and the earth has its microbiome, right? So that's right. part of why when you travel and you're eating food that's grown in different locations with different bacteria in the soil and, and that you might tend to get an upset stomach from that. Right. So eating locally is, is very important, if you can. Now, for us in Montana, that's kind of hard in the winter, right? When yeah. you eat snow, I mean, it, it's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. But trying to <coughs> do that as much as possible is, is very helpful. Right. right. And um, avoiding, avoiding 
um, really trying to trying to tailor your food to the season. Right. So in Ayurveda, <coughs> excuse me, we eat. We recommend eating warm, comforting foods in the fall. Right. When it's dry and windy. <laughs> when it's raining, we want to eat lighter, more stir-fried foods. And in the summer, we do lots of cooling foods like salads. Right, right. So paying attention to what the weather is outside and then deciding on what you're going to eat that day is also really helpful. And then paying attention to how you feel after you eat. Right. And I think that that is a, a huge key that, um, again, when we talk about the, the fact that the more technologically advanced we become mm -hmm. as as um, humans, that the, the, the less our connection to our environment, the earth, and many times I think to our own, you know, the, the own, our own experience of our bodies as well. It, exactly. It, so, you know, sometimes I think it, it, I think it's important to recognize that it takes a little bit of um, effort to kind of drop back yeah. in and connect with, with that. I'm not that. sure. It's effort. I would think of it being more awareness. Okay, sure. So I'm just finishing up teaching an Ayurveda class um, at the university, and I'm reading my student papers of their lifestyle. And I think one of the things that has really helped them is just paying attention to how you feel right. when you're exercising, when you're eating, and modifying things mm -hmm. accordingly. In Ayurveda, we say the main cause of disease is crime against the intellect, yeah. which really means you're doing things that you know aren't going to make you feel right. good, but you're doing Do them anyway. anyway. Right. right. So yeah. I think being more in tune with our circadian rhythms and what's happening in our external environment is really helpful. Yeah. And I'll give you an example that's really interesting. So in India, um, you harvest various medicinal herbs based on their um, uh, religious calendar with all the festivals. Right. Okay, so that traditionally is how it evolved. When you look at the different phytochemicals or the different components of these plants, um, you find that there are certain components that only are expressed in that plant during that time when they're supposed to be harvested. Isn't that fascinating? So the yeah. plants are also on a kind of circadian sure, and seasonal sure. rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really interesting. So I think that when we kind of go internally and pay attention to how we're feeling and then also factor in what's going on in our outside world, then we can make decisions about how we're going to move through our day. What are we going to eat? Mm -hmm. How much are we going to exercise? Mm -hmm. When are we going to get our sleep? And we can modify that slightly day to day within that overall structure of the circadian rhythm right exactly well and i think that it's kind of intuitive that a lot of people kind of naturally move in that direction it but is. i also you know i got also have wondered over the years kind of understanding this you know connection to the earth um you know the the ability that we have to get food from all over the world right in basically anytime we want right right yeah and um and and I, I I I'm a gardener and I've been for years and I you know put up food and you know all of that kind of thing. So it's a it's interesting to me that I eat what's in the garden. Right. 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 And, and I think that yeah there is a move towards that. Mm -hmm. um, but I would also stress, and this is something I'm very passionate about. Yeah. Is that um, 
the ability to have good food mm-hmm. is really dependent on your economic status. Absolutely. Right? right? So we're fortunate that we live in Missoula and we've got grocery stores and you can buy food. Now, other uh, communities like on our Native American reservations, they don't have access to that kind of food. I was a graduate student in West Philadelphia, which was a very poor area. I mean, fruits and vegetables, we hardly saw there. So this is really a social issue Mm -hmm. as well as sort of a health and economic issue. Absolutely. And Yeah. uh, yeah, it's really unfortunate how that has evolved in our country. And so there are fast food chains that, you know, target underserved and underprivileged communities and say there has to be a a fast food restaurant, you know, every two miles. So think about that in Missoula, you know, how far away are those fast food? And many people, that's only what what they can afford to eat. That's what they can get, yeah. And that's what they can get. Yeah. So it is easy to talk about eating a healthy diet and fruits and vegetables and a colorful plate. But I think we also have to acknowledge that that is an economic hardship for a lot of people. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, point well taken. It's a it's a it's a thing. Mm -hmm. It's a real thing. Mm -hmm. Right. I just think technology is great because we can, you know, technology (laughs) is wonderful. Yeah. But it has a really negative downside and one of the things i also said about i didn't say about handling anxiety is that social media amplifies oh, amplifies the extremes mm-hmm. and um it's really interesting because facebook around 2014 changed its algorithms right, right of how it went into your feed and and that is when we started seeing this real polarization in our society right. And so I, I've seen this a lot, particularly in my students at the university, is separating yourself out from that social media yeah. is really important because those algorithms are designed to amplify the extremes. Right. And so it is not representative of what's right. going on in the real world, how people are really feeling. And I think right. it's important to recognize that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, in and of itself is not bad. It's no. just how do you, how do you consume it? Exactly. How do you consume it? Exactly. And we thought originally, you know, when social media and all this came out, it's like, oh, everything's going to be transparent. There's going to be knowledge. It's going to be great because things that are hidden are going to be revealed. And in some and in a lot of ways, the opposite has happened. Right. Right. So I think that is something that I see really feeds into people's anxiety. Right. Exactly. Well, when you think about the whole impact on the central nervous system Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, our primal need to be safe right to feel safe and then anything that gets disrupted yes you know any sense of unease regardless of where it comes from you know sets off this whole chain of of Of, chemistry right exactly it it sort of activates your fight or flight response the other thing that's very important about social media from a psychological perspective is that the most addictive psychological paradigm is the random reward system (laughs) no it is yeah yeah. so what is social media it's a random reward system you don't know what you're going to find it's it might be really good and so people become obsessed with checking social media Mm -hmm. and we're we're sort of programmed into 
being having addiction with this random reward system. So I think being aware Mm -hmm. that that's sort of what you're keyed to and really limiting right. when you're checking social media. Right. Nothing is really going to happen that you need to check every five minutes. Right. But also recognizing that that's part of our biological, our wiring. Exactly. Is that we always want to be with that random reward system. Exactly. Well, it kind of brings to mind, you know, when we are, in, again, talking in the, in the vein of self-care, that, um, you know, one of the comments that I hear from people when we talk about, you know, here's what here's what really truly, you know, nourishing mm-hmm. self care looks like. It takes some, it takes some uh, dedication. It mm-hmm. takes some discipline. It takes, you know, actually engaging with the process. And of course, you know, one of the reasons that people give for not wanting to, you know, mm-hmm. that not being able to do that is that they don't have enough time and. And, and, you know, the point that I always try to make is, well, how much time do you spend on your phone doing nothing? Right. You know, I mean, if, 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 if you check your phone, you know, 50 times a day, which is probably pretty normal, yeah. and you spend a minute each right. time, well, you know. Well, and I think I th- that's a very good point, but I think it goes deeper than that. Oh, absolutely. I think our society has evolved in such a way that self-care is something that is not looked upon as a good use of your time. Right, exactly. And so when you take that time for self-care, it's almost as if people feel guilty doing that. Right. Like I should be doing something else. Right. And actually, I view the time that I spend taking a walk with my dog or hiking or preparing a good meal, that's part of my medicine. Exactly. That's part of what I need to do to stay healthy. Right. And if anybody gives me a hard time about that, I'm like, well, nobody gives you a hard time because you're taking your medication. This is what I need to do to remain healthy. Exactly. And so I think it is um, it is a cultural shift. And Absolutely. I think that in some ways the COVID pandemic has kind of Absolutely. shown that, right? You can't you can't go to work when you're sick with COVID, or you shouldn't. But before COVID, how many people dragged themselves in when they had the flu? Right. Oh, okay. absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, this acknowledgement that to maintain a healthy immune system, you have to have a good lifestyle. Right. And to take time for yourself is really important. And right. so I, I think that it really goes very deep into sort of the values of our right. society. It's a whole shift of paradigm. It is a shift of paradigm. Yeah. And other societies in Europe, they don't have the no. same attitude. No, they do not. As, as we do in the United States. Yeah. Again, to our detriment, perhaps. And to our detriment. <laughs> exactly. To our detriment. Yeah, we're not, we're very unhealthy. Right. As a population compared to other populations right. in Europe. Right, exactly. You know, we have higher um, maternal mortality and infant mortality and, uh, you know, higher rates of, of chronic diseases. Right. right. So self-care is, is really part of what we need to do to maintain our health through our right. life. And I believe I'm correct in saying this, that many of, or, you know, the, the ancient medical systems that I'm aware of, Ayurvedic being mm-hmm. one of them, Chinese traditional Chinese mm-hmm. medicine being another, that the the processes of those medical systems, the, the components of them, that most of them are really focused on um, what you eat, 
how you eat, you know, moving your body, having mm-hmm. contemplative time, right. um, that there isn't a lot of external come in and save me kind of exactly. things to, you know, that exactly. that's like way down on the list after all of these other things At, are in place. Exactly. Yeah. And so the, the traditional systems of medicine evolved <clears throat> from op- careful observation. Right. And most of them emphasize preventative medicine. Right. Basically. Right. So, and, and Ayurveda is the first to, to recognize that there are some diseases that we can't cure. Right. But they also have ways of recognizing when things could progress to something bad. Things that we ignore in our society, like indigestion. Right. Okay, what do we do if we have indigestion, right? You pop some more Pepsids or whatever right. that you're going to take. Right. Instead of getting at the root of the problem, like why do you have indigestion in the first place? Right. And so um, some of the, the traditional systems of medicine have all of these what we call prodromal symptoms mm-hmm. that we ignore. Headaches, indigestion, constipation, muscle ache that we don't deal with until it becomes right. unbearable. And in those systems of medicine, you would start to treat those immediately. Because it's a sign it's of a something sign else. Yeah. that things yeah. might progress into, right. uh, into a physiological way that you can't treat anymore. Right. right. So I think that's something that's very important for our society to, to really think about. And I think that that is really a good justification if people need it for self-care. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because yeah. if I don't, Right. Do this, then I'm going to get headaches or I'm going to have indigestion. Right. Right. Exactly. And to to be able to to recognize that, you know, that um that we have so much more power and we have so much more to say right about how well we do in the world. Right. Than I think a lot of us think we do. Exactly. And and that <clears throat> I don't want to minimize that there are no, genetic absolutely. issues. There are people we get sick. Yeah, you know, and no matter how healthy you are and what a great lifestyle, you know, thing negative things can still happen to you. Absolutely. Right, right. But I do think that we can make ourselves feel healthier right. on a daily basis mm-hmm. by paying attention to these small things and being right. a little bit more in tune to our environment. Absolutely. That's great. Well, is there anything else, um, especially around um, anything to do with people who are working shifts or are like naturally kind of night owls or metal larks, or is there anything uh, around that that, um, that you might suggest that would be really helpful in helping that group, those groups of people take care of themselves better. Yes. I think having a daily routine is one of the most important things that you can do. Okay. So we can't control our environment all the time. We can't control when we're working, but having a routine that your body can recognize when you're doing that kind of shift work, I think is really important. And making sure that we understand that, you know, there are certain rhythms in our body that we're not going to be able going doing shift work we're not going to be able to change so maybe if you have to be up at night and work at night you're obviously you're going to be hungry you need energy but maybe eat things that are a little bit lighter okay you know and don't eat the real heavy dense foods so i think that just paying attention to that and trying to keep yourself as regular 
in terms of your lifestyle as you can is the best that you can do. And I think making supervisors aware of that is also really important. As you said, you know, changing your shift work each day is really detrimental to health. Absolutely. So if you're going to have somebody that's a relief person, you know, maybe they should think about, okay, this is our night relief person. This is our midday relief person. Or something. Something along those lines so that it's regular. Right. Right. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, The other thing as we are winding up here that I want to um, just touch on briefly while while we have you (laughs) available is, um, are there things that we could be doing? So I think I think we can all it all it makes sense to us that that all of us are living in very stressful times. There's a Mm -hmm. huge uptick of anxiety, certainly. Um, are there things that we could be doing um, either through nutritional interventions, you know, helping our immune systems, our gut bi- microbiome, whatever, you know, um, to, to deal with the, this huge uptick of anxiety that a lot of people are yeah, experiencing? that's a really good point. I think that trying to eat, in terms of diet, mm-hmm. sort of unprocessed foods. Okay. And cutting back on sugar. When you get stressed, you want to eat fat and sugar. Right, right. right? right. <laughs> we all do. Yeah, yeah. So just being aware of that. And I think that movement is very important. Right. And I hate to talk about exercise because people talk about exercise, they think about going to the gym and killing themselves at the gym. Right. But getting outside and mm-hmm. taking a walk for 20, for you know, 20 to 40 minutes a day is one of the best things that you can do for yourself. Right. Right. In terms of your health and your mental health. And there are studies that are actually, that are coming out now that are showing walking in nature right. has a huge impact. Right. And we're so fortunate in Montana that, you know, we can walk outside and be in nature. But yeah. there are parks everywhere. Right. And being conscious that you need to get outside mm-hmm. or you need to move during the day, right. I think is really helpful. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. And I think also being gentle with yourselves. Yeah. You know, we're living in a really stressful time right now. There are, there's, it's not just the pandemic. There are so many other things that are happening and recognizing that we're feeling stressed. That's okay to do it. And taking some time each day to do something that's self-care, right? Whether it's reading a good book, whether it's going out to walk, whether it's playing with your dog, but taking that time each day to do something that nurtures yourself. I think is very important. Right. And our society is sort of no pain, no gain, and we're supposed to work all the time. Yeah. And and my motto is no pain, lots of gain. <laughs> <laughs> so it is okay to do things for yourself. Right, right. That's a big deal. <clears throat> yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Diana, thank you so much for joining us today. This was really fascinating, and um, I learned a lot. Oh, good. Yeah, so no, thank you. this was you. a lot of fun. Thank yeah. you for having oh, me. Oh, you're so very welcome. Absolutely. All Things Vegas is brought to you by Western Montana Area Health Education Center, working to recruit, train, and retain healthcare professionals, and in partnership with the Red Willow Learning Center, working to make resilient skills available to everyone. If you have an idea for a podcast topic or are interested in sponsoring an episode, please contact Robin Mokey at robin.mokey at mso.umt.edu. If you didn't catch that, check the program notes. Thanks so much for joining us.